Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A small Michigan town is frozen over after a harsh winter when a young father is found mysteriously murdered. Oh, my heart's going 100 miles an hour. It was very, very clear that he was shot while he was sleeping. I had no idea what was coming. I was devastated. Investigators must weather through the icy conditions as they uncover numerous lies and dark secrets. There was more going on behind the scenes. What do you think happened? I have no idea what happened. Could the snow help put a killer behind bars? The weather in this situation played the biggest role. There is no perfect murder when you have weather on your side. In northern Michigan, centered between Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, sits a small sleepy little town called Levering. Levering is in northern Emmett County, and in the wintertime, they can have extremely cold temperatures and huge amounts of snow that can last all the way through March, even into April. But they can also see big swings. So they can go from 40 one day to 20 another day to seeing two feet of snow overnight. So things can change in the blink of an eye. This is because of something called lake effect snow, which is common across the Great Lakes region. Lake effect snow is an interesting phenomenon that occurs when you get really cold air blowing over a relatively warm body of water. And what that does is it allows all sorts of humidity to evaporate and get into the air column and then rise when it hits the opposite shore and condense and precipitate out. And so you can get actually lots of snow in this formation. And uh, these are infamous phenomena around the Great Lakes because we have ex exactly those conditions. Really cold air from Canada blowing over relatively warm bodies of water in the Great Lakes. But the locals have to deal with more than just unpredictable snowfall. The temperatures can also be greatly influenced by the wind. It's the wind chill that is the key for us, that wind coming off the lake. So it may be 10 degrees, but you know, minus 15 wind chill factor. In 2014, Northern Michigan was experiencing one of its worst winters yet. This area typically sees anywhere from 76 to 100 inches of snow during their winter season. But this January, it was storm after storm after storm, and they received over 120 inches of snow by March. And for a lot of the days, those temperatures were below 20 degrees. As the town of Levering experiences one of the coldest mornings all season, the Emmett County Sheriff's Office receives an unusual 911 call from a 28-year-old woman named Amber Smith. 911? Oh, hi there. I just got home. I'm taking my son to the doctor, and my door was open, and when I came inside, there's stuff all over my house. <laughs> so you think somebody has broke in? Oh, there's stuff everywhere. 
She tells the dispatcher she's concerned because she has her five-year-old son with her. Okay, and so is your son safe? Is he outside? We're both sitting in the car. Amber was very frantic, basically typical of someone who is a victim of that type of crime. Oh, my heart's going 100 miles an hour. She says her 35-year-old fiance, Trenton Mallory, was home when she left earlier that morning. She also mentioned his truck was still in the driveway and that he may be in the house. I don't see my fiance, but I didn't want to go further into the house. An Emmett County deputy immediately heads out to the address. The officers on their way. When the deputy arrives, he sees Amber in her car with her son at the edge of the snowy driveway. He approaches the house slowly, careful not to disturb any shoe or tire prints left by a perpetrator. As the deputy walks inside, he sees evidence of a break-in. But in the master bedroom, he finds it is much more than that. Trent Mallory was deceased in the house in the bedroom. The deputy can see he's lying in bed with an obvious gunshot wound to the back of his head. He contacted uh, our office and said that he needed a detective. Born and raised in Levering, the oldest of two, Trenton Trent Mallory was your typical small town boy, acquiring a passion for the outdoors at an early age. He was an avid hunter. I mean, he hunted every season for everything, and that was that's what he lived to do. As Trent became a young man, everyone in town knew him as the gentle giant. Trenton was almost seven feet tall, but he was so soft-spoken. He had lots of cousins and they all had big families and he was really envious of that. He wanted lots of kids and just to do the dad thing. At 22 years old, Trent was hired at a soda distributing company in Petoskey, about 25 miles south, as a merchandiser and distributor. I met him when I was a manager and he was my merchandiser. Trenton was a very hard worker. He was hoping maybe someday he would make salesman. In the meantime, he made some extra cash by buying, selling, and trading items online, especially guns, which is legal in Michigan, and earned him the nickname Trader Trent. His big dream was starting his own trading business. Trent was fairly conservative. You know, he didn't waste his money, paid his bills. Although he dated frequently, Trent had trouble meeting the right woman. Until 2004, when at 25 years old, he went on a blind date. I introduced him to my 18-year-old daughter, Amber Smith. Amber was born in Petoskey and had a bright future. Amber was a head cheerleader her freshman year. She did volleyball, track, soccer, basketball. She carried a 4.0 all the way through school. I mean, just, she was the all-American girl. After meeting, the all-American girl and gentle giant found they had a lot in common. They both loved the outdoors. They both loved doing the online trading, and they just both had a love of family, which was so important. But Amber was about to go off to college, so the two put any romance on hold. Then, after her first year of college, Amber's path took a drastic turn. She became a party girl, didn't go to class, she would take off on trips with friends, and she flunked out of college. 
By age 21, the young girl found herself pregnant. The baby's father was not in the picture, but Trent was there for her. Unfortunately, when her son was born in 2007, Amber experienced extreme heartbreak. Amber's son was born with cardiomyopathy. His heart was enlarged twice the size of an adult's heart. The new mother never left his side for seven months until he could have a heart transplant. The experience brought Amber and Trent closer, and over the next year, their love blossomed. Trent even decided to raise her son as his own. Trent wanted that so bad. I mean, he instantly fell in love with the idea of a family. Trent bought them a house in his hometown, but because their son needed extra care, Amber didn't work. She was uh, a stay-at-home mom. A year later in 2009, Trent and Amber had a son together. Trent cared for both boys the same and was a devoted father. Although they loved being parents, sometimes Amber would have her sister Amy Sullivan babysit while she and Trent gambled a little at one of the local casinos. That was kind of their date night or a night out together. By 2014, after five years together, the two were ready to tie the knot. Trent finally proposed and she agreed and they were supposed to get married in May. But on a cold, wintry day in March, their lives changed forever. As authorities converge on Amber and Trent's home to investigate his murder, they discover a bizarre mystery filled with lies. Will the snowy Michigan weather lead them to the truth? The weather played a huge role in this case. In fact, probably the biggest role in this case. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. In 2014, Levering, Michigan had one of their worst winters with record-breaking snow and sub-zero temperatures well into March. After 28-year-old Amber Smith called 911 about a possible break-in, police discovered her 35-year-old fiancé, Trent Mallory, dead from a gunshot wound to the back of his head. Investigator J.L. Sumter arrives from the Emmett County Sheriff's Department to examine the frosty crime scene, along with the Michigan State Crime Lab. I noticed 
Amber's car was at the end of the driveway. She was frantic, crying, screaming. It was very cold. There was a light dusting of snow on the ground, but for the most part, everything was frozen over. Police are careful not to disturb anything as they explore the snowy exterior of the house. They know that the weather can hurt or help their investigation. Weather in any investigation can be important and can affect uh, evidence. Snow on the ground can aid in identifying tire impressions or footwear impressions. Additional snowfall can destroy that evidence. So we had made our own path in the snow where uh, we know nobody had walked before leaving the driveway. As they look around the outside, they notice shoe prints and tire tracks in the snow. Fortunately for us, it wasn't snowing the morning of, so it didn't uh, potentially destroy any of that evidence. But because of the frigid temperatures, a detailed impression is difficult. The weather that night was like negative 27 degrees. So it was extremely cold and clear night. So any tire impressions that are left in the snow would not be ideal. In this case, the snow was almost ice, which meant it was really dense and had more moisture content. And if you get really cold conditions, really light crystalline snow, it's very difficult to retain any kind of prints or anything that would be left behind. If the snow's a little warmer and more moist, it can hold more of a dense consistency and retain that evidence of track in the snow. But a quick glance tells them that the shoe and tire impressions most likely belong to Amber and her car. Amber's car was still in the driveway, so that allowed basically the uh, Michigan State Police Crime Lab to be able to identify tracks that were associated with the car. Yet police are surprised that there's no evidence of any other vehicle or shoe prints in the snow. We did not notice anything else uh, odd where you would typically see somebody walk in or case in the house or anything. Inside, investigators find no forced entry, but the home does appear to be ransacked. When we got into the kitchen, everything was in disarray. The cupboards were pulled open. You've got a medicine cabinet open. You've got some pill bottles strewn on the floor, some medicine. But strangely, they notice items of real value still in the home. Such as guns, ammunition, I remember a uh, trail camera being in the kitchen that was brand new, which, you know, could range from 100 to three to $400 of value. And it just looked like the, if it was a robbery, they were looking for something specific. Detectives then head to the master bedroom to examine Trent's body. Trenton was laying there in bed with the covers covering all the way up to his neck. There was nothing that had indicated that there was any sort of struggle or fight. It appeared as though Trent was shot while he was sleeping. I found it odd that if the suspect were to enter a home and go through the home as uh, he or she did, that Trenton would have woken up and, and actually confronted the suspect. The coroner estimates the time of death to be around 9 a.m., although it's not an exact science. The really cold temperatures outside meant that the temperatures inside were warmer, and he was wearing a comforter, which made his body temperature even warmer, which made it even more difficult to determine the time of death. When crime scene techs search the bedroom, they find a 22 caliber spent bullet casing on the floor just inside the doorway by the bed. 
And I had noticed there was a 22 caliber long rifle ammunition box inside Trent's room. Investigator Sumter also notices a gun cabinet. In that gun cabinet were several long rifles and shotguns. The gun cabinet itself, it held approximately 10 guns, and all the guns were there. Although none of them appeared to be the murder weapon. There was not a 22 rifle that was obviously used to shoot Trent. After finishing up the crime scene, police send the shell casing to the lab for analysis. But investigators are left with more questions than answers. It didn't, right from the get-go, make a lot of sense. A typical breaking and entering it occurs in the middle of the night. Normal B&Es don't come in and shoot somebody while they're sleeping. I think it was more evident that it was probably staged and something more was afoot here than just simple breaking and entering. Police have a real murder mystery on their hands and turn to Amber for any clues. What do you think happened? I don't know why anybody would hurt Trent. The whole world is a suspect until you can figure out some of those pieces to the puzzle. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Snow doesn't lie. And if you look close enough, it can paint a very detailed picture. It can tell you what did happen, but also what didn't happen. In March 2014, authorities in Emmett County, Michigan, are investigating the murder of Amber Smith's fiance, Trenton Mallory, after they find him suspiciously shot in the head. Something else was going on here and that something needed to be further investigated. County investigator J.L. Sumter and Mark Harris from the Michigan State Police bring Amber to the police station for questioning. The mother is visibly shaken after learning her fiance is dead. One of the first things is you're gonna look at Amber. Amber was the one that called 911. There was so much fresh snow that morning of the shooting, but the only tracks in and out were Amber's. Right, so I'm, I... I'm going to ask you if you had any part or just play any part whatsoever in Trent's death. No. Through tears, Amber says she and Trent have officially been together five years, and he's a good provider and wonderful father to their five-year-old and seven-year-old boys. How, how's your relationship with Trent right now? Investigators ask her to walk them through everything she did that day. Amber says she was up at 5.30 a.m. and got the kids ready for school. She says that Trent was asleep, um, didn't want to get up, and just wanted to sleep in. It was his day off. She tells police it was around 7 a.m. when she left with the two boys. She had left one of the kids' backpack in the house and went back into the residence to get the backpack before they pulled out. 
Amber then says she stopped at the store to get granola bars for her oldest son's class and then arrived at his school early. And we waited in the car because you don't get to go in the building until I, breakfast starts at quarter to eight. Once the school opened, she went inside with the kids. She visited her youngest son's teacher. Uh, the youngest son was sick and was not going to school that day. She tells police that after that, she took them to the doctor around 8.30 a.m. And um, we waited in the waiting room, at which point I texted Trent just to let him know that we were in the waiting room. She made several attempts to text uh, Trenton, but uh, Trenton did not answer her all morning. She says next they went to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription at 9.30 a.m. And then she decided to swing by the trailer where her sister, Amy Sullivan, stays with her boyfriend. She knocked on the door. Uh, nobody had answered. She knew Amy to be a pretty heavy sleeper. She said she physically walked around uh, this residence and looked in the windows, and Amy was at home. And then that's when she proceeded back to home, where she ultimately made the 911 call at 10.34 AM. Amber appears to have a solid alibi since she was at the doctor's with her son at 9 a.m. when the medical examiner estimated the time of death. I have no idea what happened. I don't know why anybody would hurt Trent. I specifically asked her about a 22 long rifle, and she didn't believe that there was any, any 22 caliber gun inside her home. Investigators ask her if Trent has any enemies that she knows of. Who might have some motive to harm Trent? And there were several people, several names that she provided us. She mentions one of her mother's ex-husbands who stayed with them briefly until they kicked him out. He's like a drug addict. They come home and he was totally wrecked. Trenton drove him to the hospital and said, you go in and get some help or don't ever expect to see my kids again. Amber thought maybe there was some animosity there that could cause him to harm Trent. She also mentioned the next boyfriend that she had had, and he may want to eliminate the competition. She had stated Trent was selling firearms, so there's people inside the house all the time. Amber freely gives the police her cell phone, fingerprints, and DNA. Amber was cooperating. She appeared to be trying to help with the investigation. Investigators now have multiple leads to follow in their murder investigation. Are things gonna add up to this as a B&E and this is just a random killing? Is there a, a string of B&Es in the neighborhood? Or is this an inside job and somebody's trying to cover their tracks? After 35-year-old Trenton Mallory is found with a gunshot wound to his head in his own bed, police have questioned his fiance, Amber Smith, who seems to have a solid alibi. Now, Emmett County and Michigan State authorities are looking into who would have wanted the young man dead. First thing police do is go through all the crimes in Michigan that match the same MO, a daytime home invasion where a homicide occurred. Is there anything that's been going on recently? Is there a, 
a string of B&Es in the neighborhood? Has there been a, anything that could be related or intertwined with, with this case? So we need to look at not only what's happened right here uh, at their address, but what has happened in, in the recent history. But after an exhaustive search, police find no match. Next, they make some phone calls and track down the people Amber mentioned. Her mother's ex-husband was at work, the ex-boyfriend, uh, again, uh, the same kind of thing. As we looked into these things, quickly we were able to eliminate these people. Even Trent's online selling and trading business is a dead end. You know, we did reach out uh, to people who had purchased guns and uh, we were slowly able to eliminate all of them. They were cooperative. They were able to, to give us information of where they were that day and we were quickly able to eliminate them as potential suspects in this case. So that night, they decide to retrace Amber's steps that day to cover all their bases. Amber had retained receipts from the uh, store that she went to, and all those things were checked and verified. We talked to all the places that she was. You know, one of the things that we wanted to make sure was done initially was obviously to verify it was Amber at these scenes. You know, what kind of behavior, how was she acting? Is she acting out of the ordinary? Uh, is she visiting their dumpster, potentially getting rid of evidence, that kind of stuff? We didn't find anything where we discovered that she had thrown anything in a dumpster. She was pretty much acting normal. They speak with Amy Sullivan, Amber's sister, at her boyfriend's trailer. Amy admits she wasn't home when Amber stopped by, but she's surprised that her sister came there at all. Amber typically doesn't come to her house where Amber had said she had visited. Uh, this was her boyfriend's house. Amy was actually living in a family property. Amy told me that their relationship was strained and they hadn't seen each other for a while. And when detectives look around the outside of the trailer, they notice something odd. This was a really heavy snowfall, and there was snow everywhere around the scene. You could tell by the amount of snow that had accumulated on the roof and sloughed off, but there was drifts of snow all over the place. Amber had made the statement that I had walked around the house and knocked on the windows looking for Amy. It didn't make any sense because, there, first of all, there was no evidence that that had happened. And second of all, that was just an absurd statement to make that you would walk through literally snow up to your neck uh, to try and look in windows that uh, it just wasn't going to happen at that time of the year. With that much fresh snow, if you're walking up next to a, a mobile home, you're going to be sinking in that snow. I would have definitely seen some type of footprints walking around the trailer, going through the high snow banks, and did not locate anything. Police wonder why Amber would have lied. They decide to widen their net, and for the next week, they speak with friends and family of the couple. So we really started broadening our investigation at that point. That's when they learned that Amber's alibi for the day Trent was shot went against all of her normal routines. One of the things that was striking in this case was the inconsistencies and the normal pattern of Amber Smith's life. First of all, Trent never missed one of his son's doctor's appointments. All appointments were always made on Trent's day off because he was a very on-hands daddy. I mean, he was there for shots. It didn't matter. They say she never drove her kids to school herself. The kids 
usually rode the school bus uh, to school, but on this day, they did not. Amber always made treats for her son's school on her treat day, and that day she had stopped and bought him gas station cookies, and that was just really odd. Stopping at Amy Sullivan's, her sister's, was completely out of the ordinary as their relationship was straining. So a lot of what, if not all, what was happening that morning was different. And when they get the results of Amber's cell phone back, they learn she lied about something else too. On the phone are photographs of a 22 rifle, the same kind of gun that they believe fired the bullet that killed Trent, taken just days before the murder. What are you talking about not knowing about this gun? And you got a picture of it on your cell phone. That's an important factor. It was really solidifying, in my mind, that we need to really be looking at Amber. Police bring Amber to the station again for more questions. They'd asked her about the picture of the gun located on the cell phone, and uh, she had studied that Trent's friend had brought it over. A fact she failed to mention when originally questioned. Okay, who's that friend? I couldn't tell you. He has so many guys that offer him guns. Okay, but when the guy left your house, were you in possession of it? No. He took it with him? He took it with him. Okay. And the inconsistencies start building, and then you start looking at, hey, wait a minute, and nothing really starts to make sense. Why would Amber kill the only person providing for her and her kids? Police find that Trent had no significant life insurance policies that Amber would have benefited from. In fact, with his death, she appeared to lose more than she would have gained since he was the breadwinner. There's no indication of uh, domestic violence or abuse in the relationship, so now you start looking at, hmm, what's going on here? What would the motive be? So investigators run a background check and learned the couple was in extreme debt, and it was mostly in Trent's name. They were constantly taking loans to cover bills, getting behind in payments. That's when police uncovered that it wasn't Trent who was taking out the loans. Amber is opening accounts in Trent's name, opening credit cards in, in Trent's name without Trent knowing. She was calling all the credit card companies, changing the phone number to hers so they wouldn't call Trenton. Trenton was never any wiser. There was an excess of $30,000, something that would take a long time to, to recover from. So that, uh, that was a huge amount of money to, the, to their family. In addition, their mortgage was in foreclosure because they hadn't made a payment in six months. Collection agencies were starting to knock on the door. Trent was starting to receive phone calls. This is a pot that's starting to boil. Detectives wonder how Amber got in so far over her head and soon find their answer. It was just another symptom of the bigger issue that was at play here, and that was that she had a gambling problem. They find that over the past year, Amber has spent over $25,000 gambling at home and at the casinos. We found sometimes $1,000 a day. So we were starting to see the dark side of Amber. She developed a taste for money, developed a taste for trying to make it big. I think uh, she kind of fed into maybe uh, an addictive nature of trying to score big and trying to get money easy and fast. Authorities believe this could be Amber's motive. In her mind, although she would lose the breadwinner, 
uh, in the family, but she also knows that maybe the debt would die with him. She felt that the only way to get out of this situation is to kill Trent. Although police are confident they now know who killed Trent and why, proving it is a different story. They still need physical evidence. And thanks to the weather's changing seasons, they're about to get it. She's getting in her car. Go, 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 go. in Emmett County, Michigan, have their sights on Amber Smith for the murder of her fiancé, Trenton Mallory. But they need more than circumstantial evidence. Without that gun, they knew, but they didn't have the proof they needed. Then, a month after Trent's murder, northern Michigan starts experiencing an unusual warm spell. We had one of the freak Michigan things ton of snow, a week later, a big thaw. This region has big temperature swings. It can go from being negative 24 one week to 40 and sunny the next week. When snow melts, it's really a function of just how warm it gets outside, but also how intense the sun is and how cloudy it can be. But also when there's more windy conditions, when you get more energy into the snowpack. So a lot of factors can influence snow melt, but principal among them is the temperature, solar radiation, and wind. The snow mounds across the county begin to melt. Police get a call from Amber's sister, Amy Sullivan. Her immediate uh, response to me was, you need to get to my house right away. Amy Sullivan had noticed something protruding out of her snowbank alongside the driveway of their house. Police head over to investigate and are shocked at what they find. When I arrived, the gun was outside the snow, and it was very clear, very evident that we had a 22 log rifle. Police believe Amber hit it there after shooting Trent, but investigators didn't see it when they were there a month before. We didn't see it because it was all covered up with snow. The snow was drifted over the top of the trailer. Investigators carefully removed the gun from the snowbank, but the weather may not be on their side this time. Our immediate concern uh, was the melting of the snow, uh, erasing any evidence that would be contained on that gun. Snowpack can complicate the formation and preservation of fingerprints, as well as genetic material and DNA. So when it's cold out, your fingerprints don't make as good a print because there's less energy or heat to make the oils that leave the actual print. Furthermore, since the snow is effectively frozen water, it can then melt and partially melt and degrade the imprint itself, so destroy the fingerprint as well as the DNA material that's left behind on the scene. So we're very aware of, of what the snow could have possibly done to this investigation negatively. After uh, preserving the weapon at the scene, we literally drove it ourselves down to the Michigan State Police Crime Lab in Lansing, Michigan. 
Meanwhile, police convince Amy to help them even further. Detectives want her to call Amber and tell her she found the gun. We decided the best bet would be to put Amy on a recorded phone call with Amber. Although she doesn't want to believe her sister is capable of murder, she agrees to help the police. You put the gun in the yard? I just, I just bought it because I wanted something for home protection. If she was wanting that gun for home protection, the, the gun was at the wrong home. Amber says she's coming to get the gun. I'm recording. Investigators Sumter and Harris set up a camera at the trailer and wait for her. Amber actually did arrive. You can see clearly on the videotape, uh, Amber's head turned to the left, looking out the side window of the driver's side of her car at the right moment when she would have been passing by where that weapon should have been. Walking down the driveway. Mm -hmm. She is looking around, and you can tell she's kind of in dismay that she's not finding where this gun is. She starts to walk back up the driveway again. She's coming back to her car. And then realizes, I can't leave here unless I'm sure that it's either not here or I just haven't found it, and goes back down. We had, of course, had the gun, so uh, it wasn't there, but she had kicked the snow, and she was digging through the snow trying to find the gun. Unfortunately, police have to let her go until they get their arrest warrant. But when forensics come back, it proves what they suspected. The casing found at the crime scene matches the gun. So we knew at that time that that was indeed our murder weapon. In addition, despite the weapon being buried in the snow for a month, one fingerprint survived. We were able to locate Amber's fingerprint on the stock of the gun near the trigger guard. So not only was it on the weapon, but it was in an area that was consistent with her firing the weapon. On April 21st, 2014, police arrest Amber Smith for the murder of her fiance, Trenton Mallory. Those who knew them best are horrified. I never dreamed she would shoot him. I had no idea it was coming. And it's been devastating to my family. The young mother decides to take her chances at trial and faces life without parole if convicted. Amber Smith is a master manipulator and a pathological liar. Wintry Michigan weather has been a saving grace in the murder investigation of 35-year-old Trenton Mallory. Snow can be a great indicator of presence or absence by leaving prints preserved or not. In this case, not seeing the prints in the snow was pretty important for identifying where Amber was or where she was not. But the biggest role it played came from an unexpected spring day. In the end, it was the warmth that exposes the murder weapon. So the weather herself was very, very key. Without the weather warming up and revealing the gun, Amber might have had more time to get rid of it for good, and she might have got away with murder. On October 12, 2014, Amber Rose Smith goes to trial for murder and use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. She pleads not guilty. Evidence will show in this case that the defendant here, Amber Smith, is a master 
manipulator and a pathological liar. Prosecutors lay out their theory of how Amber killed her fiance. They believe Trent finally discovered that Amber's addiction to gambling was about to cost them everything. I think Trent confronted Amber and possibly had threatened to leave Amber. They say that's when she decided to take action. I think she, at some point, made it a, a priority that you know she was going to kill him, and then the uh, that morning it presented itself. The state says there are several times that Amber could have shot Trent, but the most likely would have been early that morning before she woke up the kids. Normally, Trent went with them, so I think her plan was executed sometime between that 5:30 a.m and their 6.30 wake-up time. That weapon is a small caliber, which doesn't create a significant amount of noise when it's fired. They believe she grabbed the 22 rifle, loaded it, and snuck up to Trent while he slept. To me, there's no question whatsoever that Trent was sleeping. She uh, took a gun that she was familiar with and killed Trent. This is a guy who's a father of her children to so cold-bloodedly go up and kill him by shooting him in the head when he's sleeping. That's a, that's a pretty cold-blooded profile, frankly. Then she hid the weapon in the trunk of the car at that point, and then once she put the kids in the car, she came back in. She used the excuse of getting her son's backpack to enter the house again. And in a weak and pathetic attempt to make it look like a burglary, scattered some papers on the floor, some medicines, and then coolly and methodically went about her business that morning, making sure she had a rock-solid alibi. And then having that weapon, she had no idea what to do, and she made an awful attempt to try to hide it in the snowbank. Then Amber tried to throw off police by giving them false leads. But the one thing she did not plan for was the weather. She thought maybe she had a little more time than she did, but we had that freak fog. Go figure, we get 50-degree day, and it just all went downhill for her. But Amber's defense says that the medical examiner's report estimated the time of death at 9 a.m., and Amber was at the doctor's with her son. Amber could not be the person who killed Trenton Mallory. So that was really the defense's whole argument but quickly we were able to explain that it was more of an arbitrary time, a best guess time. The heat of the house was on. We had the temperature outside and he was covered up. Um, so that it was really difficult for us to grasp that time. Amber refuses to take the stand in her defense. We were at the trial every day and it was like she wasn't there. She sat there with the blankest stare on her face. It was like there was no soul. On October 16th, 2014, with the overwhelming evidence, it takes the jury less than an hour to reach a verdict. With the jury and the above matter find as follows. Count one, guilty of first degree premeditated murder. Count two, guilty of felony firearm. There's a hole in my heart Amber put there that is never gonna go away. I will never forgive my own daughter. Amber Smith receives life in prison without the possibility of parole. She never shows any remorse. She's spending the rest of her life in prison, which, in my opinion, that's justice served. Trenton Mallory will always be remembered as a gentle and endearing man and father. 
They just didn't make a finer person than him, a more genuine, honest person. He was so special. It's just a tragedy that he's gone, that he's leaving so many people that do love him. But thanks to Michigan's changing winter weather, his killer will be behind bars forever. Weather is its own person. Weather behaves however it chooses in Michigan. Do you think being born and raised here, she might have known better, but... Nothing like winter.